0: You ready?
1: Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy.
0: do doing later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics, who are now in a tie with the Cleveland Cavaliers 2-2. Who to thunk it, John? Probably me, because... That's how this thing has to roll. It has to go seven games. That's how people make money. You heard it in the Milwaukee series. A little bit of a resurgence, although it's not really as bad. Celtics definitely could have finished better at the basket in the last two games. Could have definitely played more aggressive in game three. They didn't, and now here we are. They're a team, somewhat predictably, a younger team that's better at home. Yes,
1: yes, a better team that a better team at home, a better team that seems to know its way, a better team that when they see the first quarter, second quarter, their eyes don't go, and then all of a sudden you all wonder, you know, who the hell are these guys? They look like a bunch of middle schoolers out there, not knowing who to pass to, what the plan is. I mean, there there were long stretches of the game where Al Horford didn't touch the ball on the offensive end. Weird, weird stuff in the first half. Um, it was probably one of the more dispiriting first halves the Celtics have put in all season i, I thought i mean almost 70 it,
0: points i mean they're a defensive club to allow yep. almost 70 points in the first half is well it's other than the big huge huge loss in game 3 70 points allowed in the first half i mean those those two scenarios are some of the worst basketball they've had all year no and it was
1: It was error after error. I mean, it was error on top of error. I mean, they they were (laughs) – forget the missed dunks. I mean, that that gets kind of overplayed, I think. But there was just – the types of errors that they were making were just mind-boggling, the types of things that my my sixth-grade travel team doesn't make, and, and yet they just were so out of sorts they played like a young team that had never been in that position before, a young team that hadn't played together before. And I I thought really their, their inexperience and their age showed that first half where, you know, things were going well for Cleveland, sure, but they didn't have that counterpunch. They weren't able to kind of find that that kind of base, that solidity that they have at some point to then find a direction. It was really a repeat of, of game three, which was its own private hell. And then,
0: except they only you lost know, by nine. Four. Except they only lost right. by nine. And, you know, it is all about that base and the base is the defense and they didn't have it in either game on the road here. But I mean, honestly, it, the fact that they only lost by nine and they kept getting really close kept getting really close and every time they did Cleveland responded. They had an answer. And the only thing I'll say is and and uh the officiating is the officiating. I don't think that I don't think none of it's as bad as Milwaukee. I know I kinda teased that earlier, but there was one play that really seemed to swing the game and that was the four or the almost four point play the would-be, the should-be four-point play with Marcus Morris. I think that one would have gotten them close enough where they might have gotten over the hump and they might have gained some confidence and put that Celtics' steam charge ahead to close out the game. But the truth is, they didn't get it, and then they didn't have it. And that absolutely was not a foul on Morris. He did not kick his leg out so clear that Kevin Love essentially hooked his foot and dragged it with him as he went out of bounds. That kind of stuff is frustrating. Sometimes it's more frustrating, though, when ESPN and their announcers say, oh, yeah, look at that, look at that, because that was such a clear defensive foul. It's not even funny.
1: Dude, I could take the next forty five minutes of this show talking about Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson, and that piece of garbage, Mike Brain. I could take that time. I'm not gonna do it because nobody wants to hear me talk about the the announcing team. But I could absolutely you could be wrong about that.
0: You could I, be wrong
1: about that. I, I might come back <laughs> then because Oh, my God! I'm about ready to blow a gasket with those three. How they are the broadcasting team of the NBA. The, the pinnacle of all the games are those three idiots. I don't understand, but I'm going to put that aside. I'm going to put that aside. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. <sighs> okay. But you're absolutely right. That play where the leg brushes, you know, obviously love. This is a foul, no question. But there wasn't some sort of extreme like, leg flailing out like we saw with Tony Allen and and Reggie Miller back in 2005, you know, where that happened. And that was obviously a play. Okay, we all saw it and we knew what was going on. This was like barely even there, and, and Bill Kennedy blew it. He blew the call. I, I want to say this, though. I don't think the Celtics got jobbed like they did in Game 3. I thought they got jobbed in Game 3. Game 4, I think there was bad officiating on both sides. Um, I think there were certain calls, though, that really hurt the Celtics. And the one that I'd point to, I mean, you're absolutely right, but it's oddly enough, Kevin Love is involved in this one. The out-of-bounds at the end there with about uh, three minutes to go, where... Yeah, that was so out-of-bounds on him. It wasn't even close.
0: Clearly out-of-bounds
1: on Love. Clearly, and if that's the Celtics ball, they get the ball back with nine with three minutes to go. They at least have a shot at that point, you know, and instead LeBron hits the three, and then you know things get weird and that you know those are the things you know everyone wants to point i've had this long debate on Twitter about oh you know well, you know the game look at this look at the the stand, the the statistics it's not that different if you watch the games, okay. It matters when and where and the types of calls made. Just like you said, you're absolutely right, Justin. That that Kevin Love call, you know, on on Morris, that was a pivotal time in that game. That ball, you know, that if that the, the four point play goes in, where are we? You know, what what is the momentum of that? You know, you can't just these 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 plays and possessions and statistics. They work in in a, in a macro sense when you look at a, a large sample size, but individual calls, individual plays, those those change momentum. They change the way the game is played, and so you can't look at this kind of larger sense of well, you know, they've had so many fouls called and so many free throws. That doesn't give you a true picture. You look at individual situations like that one, that can really tell a tale in terms of how the game is played.
0: Yeah, it definitely can, and that's kind of the sneaky thing that they do, but at the same time, you gotta finish place. And there were so many times that the Celtics could have, we know that the officials call with the momentum of the game. That's the one thing there. Like you said, they got jobbed in game three, but in game four, they never really quite had it. And because they didn't have it, it, they don't get the benefit of the calls. We've seen it time in and time out. That's the way it's going to be. You know, it's hard to go boo-hoo, poor me, poor me on the officiating in a game like Game 4. It really is. And at the same time, you knew this was going to happen. I mean, I don't mean to – I don't mean – again, I'm not – yes, the timing of the calls, blah, blah, blah. But you knew this was going to happen because of the team that Cleveland is and because – They're at home, and I guess the biggest question is Game 5. I, You know, I know that Game 7 is typically the game where you go, okay, you know, if if Cleveland gets to Game 7, then it's all up in the air and anything could happen, and I think that's definitely true with a young squad like this, but I'm actually more scared of Game 5, to be honest with you, John. That's the one, because if you drop Game 5, it's over. It's totally over. They're not going to go back to Cleveland and win Game 6 in that scenario. They struggle on the road. So you do have to take that home court crowd. They have to take that home court energy. They have to take that undefeated at home record so far in the postseason. And they have to continue it. And I think that they will in Game 5 just because they've had two games where, you know, they really – same reason Cleveland came out and showed in Games 3 and 4. I expect the Celtics to show in Game 5. But it's the one that makes me nervous because if they drop game five, it's over. Game seven is at least still anybody's game.
1: Yeah. No, I think you're right. Game five is, it's the, it's the pivotal game of any series. I mean, I think game fours for two one series are important, but you know, look, here we are. It's two two. There's, it's a best of three series at this point. First to win two wins and the Celtics have two games at home. So they need to hold home court, just as they've done throughout the playoffs. They need to be able to do that here in in this Eastern Conference Finals against the Cleveland Cavaliers. They need to do it. That's just bottom line. They need to play like they can on their home floor. Um, You know, we may have Shane Larkin back. That would be a real plus, I think. But it's are there enough? Things the Celtics can take from the last two games that they can bring into Boston. I think there's some. I think there's some things that, in terms of Cleveland's matchups, I felt like in the second half, Boston finally started to figure out some ways, some counters, some ways to, to Defend that. I think we see a lot more of smart on, on LeBron. And I'm not sure there's a counter for that. I mean, you know, you can switch and switch and all this, but it felt like Boston was finding some ways around that. And I'm sure, I'm sure Lou will, will try to do what he can do, but I like where the Celtics are going into game five, actually. I thought, you know, after really abysmal, let's say six quarters, I mean, talking about the four, four quarters of game one, the first two here of, of game three, or excuse me, game four, Boston competed in, game, in quarters three and four. It wasn't enough. I mean, they really just didn't play hard enough. And, and quarter three was, was pretty strong, place. but they were. Yeah, I think. I think quarter four generally, um, they were pretty good. And I think if we, if, you know, we're going to see a game six. I think there's things to your Boston can take from game four that they're going to be able to play to game six. But you got to get to Game Five. You got to hold home court and put yourself in a position where you can take the lessons of Game Four and apply them to a Game Six and potentially
0: clinch it. All right. Well, but you got to
1: get to Game Five first.
0: <laughs> yeah. Follow Celtics stuff live on Twitter at CSL underscore tweet live, as well as your host at CSL underscore Justin, that's me, at CSL underscore Duke, that's him, and the entire CLNS Media Network, at CLNS Media, facebook.com slash CLNS fans, and download the CLNS Media app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Media in your app marketplace. And finally, the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash CLNS Media for high definition, full-length locker room interviews, and the Garden Report. The round table and us, Celtic Stuff Live. John, I think the other thing that we heard about was how Marcus Morris went and met with his brother, was totally embarrassed in game three, they watched video together, they prepared, they prepared, they prepared. Another pivotal, pivotal, that's not even a word, another pivotal moment, or not pivotal moment, but a key in this game was how quickly Morris wound up in foul trouble, especially after doing all that study work. Certainly would have been helpful to the team if he had still been able to be out there. We wind up seeing Marcus Smart playing a decent amount of defense on LeBron, and um, hopefully in Game 5, and I, I am betting in Game 5 that this will happen that Morris stays out of foul trouble and that the team just really kicks it up on defense because that's the issue here. Offen- offensively, they're still scoring. What they have to do is shut down the Cavs.
1: You know it was interesting, kind of in that vein of what you're talking about, I was watching uh, NBA TV, had some pre stuff before, and Isaiah Thomas was saying, I really liked how Cleveland played in game two. And I'm like – what are you talking about? Like Boston owned them in that game. But I kind of know what he's saying now after the game four, Boston didn't play well for the vast majority of this game, but there were a lot of things that you feel like in terms of how they're defending, how they're, you know, what are the the matchups? I felt like there's a lot in the second half that Boston can take from this game and apply to game five. And I think that that is probably the bigger tale as you're kind of looking forward here in the next three games. You know, there's going to be, you know, adjustments and counters and this and that. But Marcus Morris is a big part of that. Five fouls really took him out of the game in large part. But I felt like even with the five fouls, he wasn't really able to do to be able to put in the box where he's really effective. When he gets one on one on a guy that can't defend him or he's, you know, the bigger guy in a one on one situation, that, I don't mind those, those Morris situations. But sometimes he gets, you know, kind of out of his hand there. Gets, goes way beyond it. And like so many Celtics in the first half, just out of control with his offense. I think we're going to see him kind of bring that in, rein that in a little bit here in game five. Have to. I mean, really, there's no other choice. He needs, everyone needs to kind of rein in their game, figure out what they do well. And I think that he'll stay out of foul trouble. I think the Celtics will be in a much better position to defend because how many times in this game did we see where, um, you know, the, you know, the switches were happening and, and Rose was getting switched up on LeBron. I think we saw in the fourth quarter, Celtics kind of figured out a way maybe where they can throw it LeBron here in game five that might be a little bit
0: more effective than uh, what
1: they've been throwing at him so far.
0: Well, in the first two games they were excellent, especially in game one you saw Horford shadowing in the paint on LeBron, which I loved. He was playing like free safety. They even ran a little bit of zone in those first two games a couple of times, which I think basically Cleveland adjusted and now it's Boston's turn to adjust and maybe they did at the end of game four here and and that game 5 we'll start to see that swing the other way, but it really does matter, this hometown crowd. There's no doubt about it. It's a huge factor with the team. And, and here's something else I want to explore with you, John, or maybe we wait just a couple more minutes, but um the Carl Anthony Towns thing, I, I'm not interested. The, I am done. <laughs> it's so funny because we're about to hit the off season when this is all we talk about, right? Like very soon the playoffs will be over, and this is all we'll talk about. And then since our last show – not Anthony Davis, but Carl Anthony Towns comes up as a potential trading location. And I could be honest with you. I barely read it. I barely care. I'm really <laughs> – it's so bizarre, but I'm really at a point where I, re- I know it's going to cost us one of Brown or Tatum, and I'm not interested. I'm flat out not interested. I want to keep those guys so bad. I'm out. I'm, I'm out. No more like trades. <laughs> like Kramer in the contest.
1: I'm out. You know, I mean, I get it. I get what you're saying. I mean, yeah, I'm not I'm not really ready to have that chat yet. Um no, no, no. no. It's not about
0: not being ready to have the chat. But, I'm telling you, yeah. I've no interest in the chat. Even okay. I mean, look. Look, the team struggles defensively. Carl Anthony Towns is not a defender. We know that they don't struggle defensively. They're the no, best no, no, no. team. No, they're Yay. struggling right now. That's right. They're oh, the best oh, team in oh, the oh, NBA. Oh. They're struggling right <laughs> yeah, now yeah, yeah. defensively, and uh, and he's the worst defender, like one of the worst defenders in the league. I'm not interested. Yeah. I know he's a special talent. I know it'll improve under Brad's tutelage. I get all of that, but the truth is, I don't want to part with one of these young guys. I' telling Dude. you, they're you don't want to break them up. This is not a Perk and Al Jefferson scenario. You do not want to break these two guys up. This is definitely not a Perk and Al
1: situation. I mean, this is, you know, we go back to those days. We talked about those days, you know, and uh, these two guys are custom made for today's NBA. I mean, they really are. They They fit each other well. One does this well. One does that well. Um, they complement each other in so many ways um, I'm not really ready to have the conversation yet so I don't I don't want to talk about Carl Anthony Towns I want to talk about a trade I I see value in it I see you know a lot of positives from him being mentored by his you know kind of big brother in the NBA which is Al Orford Um I'm not ready. I'm not ready to go there. I'm not ready to go there. But but I, he's an intriguing prospect. I'll say that. Um But you know, I think where the Celtics are right now, they have two guys who really are special, Uh and they're still trying to figure it out. And I thought we saw. Let's let's give Jalen Brown some credit. This is okay. This is your time. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tee it up here for you. So I'm gonna Ooh, say yeah. how stuff. Right. I'm going to say some good stuff about Jalen right now, and then you're going to kind of take it from there. Jalen played as badly in the first half probably as I've ever seen him in two years of watching him as a Celtic. He was abysmal. (laughs) He shot blocked by, you know, Kyle Korver of all people. I mean, just out of control, not with any purpose, fouling, stupid. I mean, just not being...
0: Present. He was like grabbing LeBron James like around the waist. It wasn't, it was, <laughs> well, I, well, I think that was purposeful, but I know what you're saying. Of course saying, it you know. was purposeful, but yeah, he got was caught purposeful. doing it.
1: Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think he was trying to – I felt like he was almost trying to draw the foul there purposely. But anyway, he was so good in the second half. I mean, I think he was really – he was the guy, I think, that if they were going to get over the hump, he was the guy that was going to get them there. He was really important in trying to create something in the paint. This is my frustration with tonight's game. Paint touches. There were no paint touches. The ball did not get in the paint nearly enough, especially in the first half. The ball wasn't getting to Horford. Rosier was not going by the slower guy in George Hill and not getting the paint and creating for his team. And that was the real problem. Jalen Brown. Couple situations he's posting up on Corver and created enough paint touches to where he was getting some, some shots, getting some free throws, looking good out there. I mean, I think he was really creating that post paint touch, collapse the defense stuff that the Celtics needed because they weren't getting it from other situations. Smart did it a little bit in the second half, but see, that's the issue, I think, is the Celtics offense, particularly in the first half, it was perimeter, perimeter, perimeter. And not enough in, out, in, out. Because you need to have a situation where your offense is going north-south. If you're not going north-south, you're in trouble, man. You're not able to get the ball moving, get the defense moving, and get yourself in a situation where you're getting open shots. And I think what Jalen Brown was doing that second half, man, and I know he's your guy, he's your guy, that was really kind of key in a lot of some of the good stuff that Celtics offense was
0: doing in the second half. All right, my rebuttal right after this. If you wear contacts, then you know how annoying, <laughs> how annoying it is to get, make people wait for your your take. If you wear contacts, and you know how annoying it is to have to get a prescription year after year just to be able to buy more contacts. Simple Contacts is changing all of that by using technology to make renewing your prescription and buying contacts super well simple and here's how it works using your phone or computer you can take the simple contacts vision test in five minutes literally anywhere and a real doctor will review your test in 24 hours and he just writes you a new prescription right there, boom, a fresh supply of your brand new lenses on the way to your door. No more appointments, no more waiting rooms, no more overpaying. Simple contacts brings the doctor's office to wherever you are, whenever you need it, and I'll be honest with you, I've slept one night at home in the last seven days. If I was out of contacts, I would need this, and that's what happened to me just a month ago. I went I needed to get contacts. I didn't have time to schedule an appointment. I would have had to reschedule it. Too much work on the road, sat down at the laptop, took the vision test from 10 feet away, and there I was, off and running. And Simple Contacts offers every brand of lenses. The prices are unbeatable. The prescription is just $20, and the contact lens prices are super competitive. Shipping is free, and best of all, our listeners get $30 off their first Simple Contacts order. So to save $30 on your lenses, just go to SimpleContacts.com slash CSL18, or enter the code CSL18 at checkout. I do have to mention, though, that this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You still need those occasionally, but it is the most convenient way to renew a prescription and reorder your contacts, even if your vision hasn't changed. Again, check out Simple Contacts and get $30 off by going to simplecontacts.com slash CSL18 or just enter the code CSL18 at checkout. Give it a try and thank me later. All right, you guys can thank me now because here's my reply to John. Uh, John, while well, I agree, Jalen Brown was awesome in the second half, made up for all the first-half flub-ups, definitely attacked a basket, finished with 25 points, leads the team once again, really does generate some amazing offense. Hitting the three-pointer, going inside, a little bit more control, although I will say he was out of control in the first half, definitely some moments there. But the issue in this game wasn't scoring, even in the first half. It was defense. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe there's a point to be made here about had they fed the ball inside, they would have gained some confidence. They might have slowed the game down. Maybe there would have been some timeouts and they would have collected themselves, you know, for defensive stops because they were rattling Cleveland's cage because Cleveland couldn't stop them. There is an element of that in the game where if, if you're if you're unable to get stops, it starts to infect your affect your confidence on offense. And if you get the offense and it's coming easy, you feel like you can gamble a little bit on defense and then you wind up actually playing better. I get that. And it definitely does happen in this league time and time again. And as we said with the officiating, if you seem to have it together and you're playing really strong and you're finishing strong, things the officials tend to sense that you have your act together and that you're playing well. So, yes, all of it does come together, but ultimately it's the defense that killed them. You can't allow 68 points and a half and expect to win a game. I mean, look at the big difference there. They finish... By allowing, what was it again? 111 points? 111 a point. Hell, 111 points. So they only allowed 43 in the second half after allowing 68 in the first half. 43, that's game pace for 86 points. That thing's a winner walking away every single day of the week if you do that in the first and the second half. And to your point about, you know, somebody saying Cleveland played their best game, played the best game in game two. Hopefully that's what the Celtics did in Game Four, and they take that forty-three point second half and carry it right into Game Five and close it down on defense at home.
1: Man, I, I hope so. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. The defense was a complete S show. Okay, it was <laughs> all right. I'll say it was it. It was a S H I T. The show.
0: sunglasses are killing me. I just <laughs> noticed. This has got to be the video clip.
1: It was a shit show because, like,
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, Guys, dude. listen. We haven't had a show like this in a long time where we just We've turned do- the total idiots.
1: Laugh fest. We've been doing this show for a du- a, a dozen years, okay? <laughs> it's it's like, we used to do these shows all the time. It this post-game podcast. Without the video and it really messes your mojo. Just saying. Listen, here's the thing. Defensively, right? <laughs> I'm trying to recruit Those are your green
0: colored recoup. glasses. I can't even. They're stand Celtics. It They're hilarious. Celtics.
1: I got them. I I went to a game. One of my first games I went to. WLVI fifty six. Oh, dude. this is that was the old team that used the old uh, station that used to broadcast back when it was Gil Santos and Kuzi. Just show my bona fides, anyway. Um, defense. I think that the defense thing, though, if they are able to just <laughs> Justin's still losing it. <laughs> I'm, just I'm
0: on mute. i dying over here.
1: <laughs> if if the Celtics, <laughs> if the self-
0: <laughs> Jesus, this is terrible. If... <laughs> Defense! Defense! You can do this! You
1: can do I it! I
0: can do it! You can do it! You can do it! Alright, well, yeah.
1: So, um <laughs> I gotta stop looking at the screen. The Celtics defense. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh man. Oh, we got the giggles. The Celtics defense was atrocious. In the This turned into an outtake. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> we can't air this. We can't. Oh, really can't. Dude. All right. All right. Pull it together. You got it. You got it. Lock in. <laughs>
1: all right. I got to change the video. All right. I can't look at you because if I laugh, uh, all right. The Celtics' defense, right? So here's the issue, right? They were able – how many times did Marcus Smart get switched up on Rozier? Excuse me. Rozier and and Marcus Smart got switched up, and so you got LeBron on Rozier. Killer, 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 killer. All game three, all game four until the end. Celtics found a way to kind of – Made made Rozier kind of tag the guy, and then you know they they kind of uh, ignored the switch. I think that's that's the situation. That's what they got to do in Game Four. You got or excuse me, Game Five. They got to find a way to take what they learn in Game Four and apply that here. Now, maybe Cleveland's looking for that, but maybe if they're not expecting it, if they don't know what's coming all the time, they're going to be able to kind of you know, it's not going to be an automatic. And that's what the problem is. Is what's happened is LeBron's smart enough. He sees exactly where Rozier is. He seeks out that guy, screen roll. Gets mashed up on 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 whoever that is. Sets the screen ends up on row zero, and then it's it's two points over and over and over and over again for game three and game four. Can't happen in game five. Can't happen in game six. Take that away. I think the Celtics are going to be in a much better situation. I, I'm just you know I think. You know, you see a guy like J.R. Smith shoot three for six. You know, those are the types of things that were killing the Celtics in this game. Basically, you know, being unable to kind of free flow and allow that kind of free safety of of Al Warford. I think you're going to see the Celtics go back to the defense that kind of worked for them. But without the constant switching in situations that were obviously disadvantageous for them, which, in this game, I think we saw over and over and over again, they ended up really row on on LeBron James. If they can avoid that, they're going to be fine defensively.
0: Yeah, you're right. They weren't, they weren't switching smart. Um, and everything seems like it's a switch, or everything can be a switch. But here's the thing that kills me, too. Every time the Celtics start to lose a game, all of a sudden the Twitterverse goes, yeah, can you just imagine next year with Kyrie and Hayward? Like, it's the go-to move, right? And I'm kind of yeah. like, I want to imagine this year with those guys acting like veterans on the road because that's really the issue. We talk about the defense and, you know, obviously just plug that big time that that the team needs to figure out how to play that defense again. But the thing is, is they're an amazing home team, right? They're undefeated at home in the postseason. Even the Cavaliers have one loss at home but the Celtics are undefeated at home. That's what is it that makes it so that when they're on the road all of a sudden they don't know how to play defense and when they're at the home, when they're at home they're locked down. I mean, I get it. We got one good half of good defensive basketball on the road against Cleveland in quarters 3 of and 4 of game 4, but for the most part, it's like they forget how to do it i well I think
1: it's i think it's the age and the youth of of the team I mean I think that's really their problem the
0: inexperience you know I, that was i you think think they be- need the crowd lift i mean is that what it is they need yes. the crowds yes, lift? like without that, they just don't dig deep on defense because see, I would think that from an effort standpoint, but it's not so sure that there was a lack of effort in this game in game no. four i I think the issue was rotations and all that, and so I don't understand how you know, the home crowd translates to playing smarter. I do understand how the home, card, how home crowd translates to playing with more energy and more hustle and more effort. But when the effort and the hustle's there, I really don't understand how the home crowd or being at home impacts their defensive abilities.
1: I, I think it's focus. I think focus is, is the main concern. I think there were a lot of blown assignments that we saw here in game four. I think the Celtics were, uh, in particular in the first half, I should say, the Celtics were in a situation where they were, um, you know, they, the inexperience in the crowd and they're hearing those things and the, the offense isn't working the way they want it to. They're just not fluid. They're not comfortable. And the Cleveland crowd and the Cleveland, obviously the Cleveland the team, the Cavaliers, they're doing everything they can to take them out of that comfort zone. And they did it very successfully in the first half. They just looked so uncomfortable offensively, probably more so than defensively. I think it's, it's perhaps easier to see. You see blown, blown, blown assignments on defense. It's obvious what's going on, but offense I think is where it's easier to see where the chemistry or where that kind of flow as a team is is evident or not, and I think that's where we saw the team was, you know, was disjointed. They were taking quick threes. They weren't, you know, moving the ball. They weren't kind of going in and out. They weren't doing the paint touches. Al Horford went long stretches of this game where he wasn't touching the ball. That, to me, is the biggest red flag going. He's their best player. Clearly, unquestionably, their best guy and their best playmaker. And to not have him touching the ball and creating opportunities for his teammates is a huge, a huge issue. I mean, it almost seemed like they were going away from him and trying to avoid giving him the ball in, in stretches. I don't understand that. I don't know what that's about but i think they kind of came back away from that in the fourth you know third and fourth quarter they'd got to find themselves again offensively and i think if they do it will help them but defensively is where you have to kind of make your bones on the road you have to be able to say we're tougher than them we're stronger than them we're going to be more more focused than, than the team we're playing and clearly in game 3 and clearly in the first half of game 4 they were not that team
0: Yeah, and the thing I love about Al Horford is he bangs around. Like, he is really aggressive in the paint to get his shot off. It's really – he's – he is much more physical in the postseason than he is during the regular season. There are just stretches when they feed him in the post and he's so good at knowing whether or not he's going to be able to get that little edge, get around the corner, uh, get it, you know, get the fade away. He knows when it's time to pass because he's not going to be able to work his offense in the post. It's not a black hole, but a lot of times he can muscle it. Speaking of muscling, the one little gripe I have in this game was how many times, you know, Uh, You saw LeBron just push off with the arm, charge with the shoulder, and push off with the arm again. And it's not light stuff. Like, I definitely saw even Korver on a couple of times. You know, he would put the arm out and and create a little space. And to me, that's playoff basketball offensively. But when LeBron literally pushes off with his right arm, slams with the shoulder, and then pushes off again – On his way to the paint, that to me, you you hear people all the time talk about. Well, LeBron's the greatest because of that athleticism and that strength, and I'm like, yeah, but LeBron whines every time he doesn't get a call, and then he gets away with. I mean, we've we've documented on this show several times the complaints about the traveling, but it's not the traveling doesn't bother me as much as the pushing off and the shoulder. Like a lot of times, those are clear offensive fouls to me that I'm just like you're taking a guy who already has such an amazing physical advantage and you're allowing him to overuse that and sort of skirt the rule a little bit. And maybe if it was just one push off, I'd be like, whatever. And you know, maybe if it was one shoulder, I'd be like, whatever. Maybe if it was one shoulder and the shoulder was in the post. I'd be like, whatever, but he's kind of doing these post moves from the perimeter to get to the post. And that's kind of what irritates me about that getting uh, allowed in the games. (laughs) I, I don't, yeah,
1: no, no question. I mean, that's, that's what he does. And then on the other end, you know, you had the Celtics young guys and Brown and Tatum were getting held and pushed and shoved and, and everything else. No calls, obviously. They're letting that stuff go, which, you know, that's the playoffs and there is some of that you have to accept and move on from, but it's those types of calls that, you know, that, that, The Celtics weren't getting, obviously, and the Celtics players were not adjusting to. And there's more physicality and yet you'd see touch fouls. Like obviously the three pointer that Morris made, it should have been a four point play. You know, it's that type of inconsistency that really makes it difficult for NBA players to do what they do to be professionals and to understand how the game's played. Yes. Everyone's looking for an edge. Yes. You're trying to find a way to, to get that much over what the other team is doing or the guy who's guarding you, what they're doing. But it there's there is an obvious sense where you know how is this game being called and what is the kind of baseline at which i what i can get away with and what can i get away with and i felt like the, lebron was getting away with whatever he needed to
0: do and not so much on the Celtics side of things all right, so look into Game 5. One of the things the Celtics did in the second half that seemed to be beneficial to them was they went a little bit bigger, and they've really set the tone of going small the entire series. I think Cleveland in Game 1 made the mistake of matching that small lineup, and since then they really haven't. Do you expect Morris to stay in that starting lineup because we know he's statistically great against LeBron, but he's struggled the last two games, but they're going back home. Do you think they'll stay small, or do you think they're going to insert Baines back into the starting lineup and maybe go a little bit bigger in Game 5?
1: I think they will go big. I think they will. I think, I think they got a match, you know, Tristan Thompson. I think you try to bring the energy to them right, right. off. And then you have a situation where, you know, one of those guys, whether it's Brown, smart, um, you know, or, well, it's going to be Brown or, or Tatum. That's going to sit, you know, I think Morris is the guy you sit. I think you bring him off the bench. Uh, you let Brown kind of start him. Let, let, uh, let him get warmed up. Then bring Morris in to guard LeBron for the rest of his his run. After you smart Bane, you sit Baines, and then kind of start from there to build your rotation. I think the issue is is that you know they're, they're kind of going Baines or Horford, and then at times they're going Baines and Horford at the end of the you know kind of end of the first, end of the third. I'd like to see them you know, kind of do that a little bit earlier, you know, kind of start off the game with that, maybe go with a little less offense, but a little bit more defense and try to make it a little bit more difficult, force the team to make their jump shots. I mean, that's really what Baines having him in there does. Uh, the other thing that that does too is it creates much more of those mismatches where they switch and then Baines is matched up with the, the guard. I think in the Southern's case, when it's on the offensive end, that also creates mismatches. I need Hor- I need Horford creating the pick and pop. I need Baines kind of rolling. But more importantly, Rosier has got to go to the basket. That's like, I think that was the biggest issue here in Game 3 and Game 4. They need their point guards going to the basket, trying to create uh, situations at the rim. I don't care if they miss the dunk. I don't care no, if they miss especially if They've got to do it
0: especially if they're going to be small that's what that whole thing is about spacing the floor and allowing the cutters and the driving attacks to the rim and they Mm -hmm. weren't doing it I I definitely want to see Baines I also rebounding was a killer an absolute killer for the Celtics in game four they they got out rebounded by 10 rebounds they didn't even clear 40 boards in the game 37 to 47 and that's Really, some work's got to be done on the glass. They had the same amount of offensive rebounds, but they had less defensive rebounds. And so that means that that they've got to figure out how they limit those second-chance points. I mean, shooting percentage is one thing, but... Just can't get killed on the glass like that. They've got to be able to own it. And it seems like a guy like Tristan Thompson just dominates this team. Uh, almost had a double double in the first half. 10 points, 8 rebounds. Certainly something that the Celtics have to check in the first half of game 5. That's why I think they go big. I don't think they finish big by any means. I think they will actually finish small like they always do and really should do that. But I'd like to see them start big again and see if they can't. I mean, they dug two holes in the you know ten point deficits very quickly in games three and four in the first quarter, and you know you you can dig yourself out during the regular season, and you've got those comebacks, and they're great at coming back, and I get that, but you can just only do that so many times, and definitely once you're in the Eastern Conference Finals, you're not going to be able to get away with it very much at all. Yeah,
1: well, and especially on a LeBron led team. <laughs> You know, LeBron, <laughs> he's really good. I don't know if, you know, just this, this just in, uh, LeBron is good. You know, he, he does so many things well for this team and he's such a freak of nature. Um, you know, we talked in the last game and I said, you know, how LeBron, it seemed like he, he had a lot of quit in him. You know, how it seemed like he wasn't going to the lane as quickly. I don't know if that's really changed, honestly. I felt like, you know, a lot of what his stuff has been has been based off post-ups on, on Rosier, which doesn't really show anything. I mean, he certainly had some spectacular plays, but he's not the guy he was five, six years ago. Um, he wasn't, he's not the guy knifing the lane, throwing down hammers on everybody in his way. That's not LeBron James anymore. So. You know, I I still think while he's hit some mid-range jumpers, he's hit some long jumpers uh in game two, game three, game four. I like the odds in that. I like where, you know, where that's headed. I know water finds this level. I know he's not going to continue to hit those. I think the real issue is how do you get Rozier free? You got to get him going. Uh, and feeling better about himself because right now he seems kind of lost in himself. He still was 16, six and 11. I mean, he, he had a great game in terms of uh the numbers, body language. but I think the issue is body. Language. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Body language yeah.
0: indicates that there's an issue there. We need him to keep his head up and just continue to attack with confidence. Mm-hmm. And I do think LeBron got a little bit in his head there. So hopefully with a couple of days off, they'll be able to pull that together. They'll be able to help him get that confidence, and go back out on the floor and take Game 5. Would love to see him take Game 5 and Game 6 and close it out, but I can pretty much assure you, This puppy is going seven if the Celtics walk away with game five. So we'll be back, and it'll still be wrapping up the Cleveland series in the Eastern Conference Finals, I believe, before we have another show. So this broadcast will be available on demand on the CNLS Media mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in. And remember that you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. For staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Jelso, and my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin and Thank you for listening to another edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Mike Breen sucks. Celtic Stuff Live.